The football season is reaching its conclusion and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got a crucial week of fixtures left to play in the Premier League and the Championship playoffs starting this weekend as well. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment, every stat through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Well then... Hello there, thanks for tuning in. This is the Going Up, Going Down podcast. We are an EFL podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And at championship level, it has been a frankly remarkable five or six weeks. Nine matches, or nine rounds of matches in just 33 days culminated in a balmy final round of fixtures on Wednesday night. The dust is settling. It's about 12 hours later. Last night, we saw teams celebrating an achievement that they've worked for for 12 months all in with the COVID-19 delay in football. We also saw teams devastated, not achieving their own goals. We'll be sifting through the wreckage of last night's insane final round of fixtures, attempting to find some meaning or some reasons for what happened. George Ellick is with me, Ali Maxwell. And George, first and foremost, it's... The best league in the world, isn't it? No debate. <laughs> if it isn't, I'm very interested to find out what is. Uh, it's lived up to, to every expectation. And you know, I think every football fan or anybody working in football was a little bit concerned about how the you know, football behind closed doors would affect the drama and the passion that um, we associate, especially with the EFL. But anybody following what happened last night will see and will know that that was in no way tempered. The passion on show, the the, the gutted reactions of, of the management and players of teams who who failed to, to do what they set out to do was, was clearly in no way diminished. And, you know, I said, it's a cliche and it's one of those things, I like things to be tangible and explainable, <laughs> but there's something about this league where going into yesterday, you just knew that it wasn't going to be simple. It mm. wasn't going to be a 4-0 win for West Brom to, to stay up. It wasn't going to be the teams currently in fifth and sixth just finishing where they where they were. And it wasn't going to be the relegated teams sticking in their spots. We knew there would be drama. And boy, was there drama. <laughs> there certainly was. I think at different points of last night, five different teams were in the relegation zone. And it really was a case of where are you when the music stops. On the athletic site, just before we started recording... The piece dropped, titled A Portrait of the Maddest Night in the Maddest League in the World. This is a group effort, a lot of the athletics writers clubbing together, covering a game each and covering it well. It really is the overview that you need to read of what happened last night if you're looking for that in written form. It's on the athletics site. If you're not a subscriber of the athletic and you'd like to read the piece where you can get a free trial, a 30 day free trial, if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod, 
That's theathletic.co.uk forward slash E-F-L-P-O-D. That's a 30-day free trial ahead of your annual subscription. So give that a go. Read the piece. We are going to do our best to talk you through it as well. George, I'm going to give you the honour, <laughs> given how many permutations there were before the action began, of running me through the key headlines and results before we delve a little bit deeper. Okay, bear with me, listener. And if you haven't heard what happened, if you've been living under a rock, we are honoured that you are using this as your as your way of finding out, although slightly questioning your life decisions. Uh, the the race for we knew that Leeds were promoted as champions going into yesterday's round of games. It was West Brom's promotion spot to to lose in second. Brentford and Fulham chasing them. West Brom were at home to QPR, which seemed like a fairly easy fixture. They made a bit of a meal of it though, going one nil down. They got it back to two one before Iberi Eze said farewell to QPR with a lovely goal. And we're in a bizarre position at two all because Brentford were hosting Barnsley and were drawing that game one all as well. So West Brom didn't know if they were coming or going, you would say. They didn't know whether to attack or defend. Exactly. Defend the, the point or try and, and secure it themselves without having to worry about Brentford. It made for a, a confusing picture, didn't it? It did. But then Brentford conceded very late on to Barnsley, which meant the West Brom West Brom's point would see them safe. Fulham chasing hot in their heels were one all poised at one all against Wigan but they needed West Brom to lose and for them to win so it was a topsy-turvy evening up there for a time Brentford were sitting in second whilst West Brom were behind and they were drawing but despite not winning their game West Brom were promoted to the Premier League on 83 points in second two points clear of both Brentford and Fulham who finished in third and fourth but Ali who would they be playing in the playoffs that was the next big question <laughs> Forrest coming into the game in fifth Cardiff in sixth this one was straightforward wasn't it and whatever, Swansea in seventh whatever Swansea did at Reading Forrest and Cardiff just needed one point to secure their playoff spot and Swansea needed to write a five goal a five goal difference uh, swing if they were to draw level on points, which would mean them winning their game against Reading and Forest losing their game against Stoke. Surely Forest, Sabri Lamucci's Forest, could see off Stoke at home. That was not the case. An absolute capitulation in the second half saw Forest lose that game 4 1. At half time, Swansea were drawing 1 0 against Reading, but crucially, Yakumete had been sent off for Reading. And Wayne Routledge rolled back the years for Swansea, scoring twice. Swansea won that game 4-1. Not a five-goal swing, a six-goal swing Unbelievable. over the two games with Cardiff dispatching Hull 3-0. It is Cardiff and Swansea who finished fifth and, and sixth. Nottingham Forest fans, just a couple of weeks ago, dreaming of automatic promotion, managed to lose 1-0 against Barnsley on Sunday to an injury-timed goal, managed to lose 4-1 against Stoke and saw Swansea winning by the same scoreline and falling out of the playoffs altogether. Arguably the biggest story, the biggest shock, I would say, from the evening. And thankfully, we've got the Athletics Nottingham Forest writer Paul Taylor to talk us through it later on in the podcast to sift through the hows and whys and what on earth happens next at Nottingham Forest. It felt like one of their best seasons in a decade and the way it's ended, I don't think it feels like that anymore. Uh, George, a couple of the teams you mentioned in those games, the likes of, of Wigan uh, and Barnsley, they were also involved in the relegation battle, arguably, which seems absurd, given that we had a, a race for automatic promotion, which saw none of the three teams going for it actually winning. The relegation battle, probably the most chaotic of all. Yeah, let's start with the easy part. 
Hull City. Yeah. Lost 3 0 away at Cardiff, relegated on 45 points. The drop off of form since January has been stark. They were sitting in mid table when they sold Kamil Grisitsky and Jared Bowen. They are now relegated bottom of the championship and seem to be a club in some crisis, both on and off the field. The same can be said off the field for Wigan Athletic, but you have to feel incredibly sorry for Paul Cook and his and his side after the 12-point deduction, which is subject to an appeal. They finish on 47 points, 59 points in total, 38 points since the turn of the year. That is at least top half of the, the table. The third form. best record since the turn of the year. Wigan, the third best team in the championship since the turn of the year. The fourth best record post-lockdown. They lost one of their last 15 matches and they're going down. None of that is fair. None of that makes sense. And they led in this game against Fulham 1-0 for a time before Niskan Skabano scored a free kick. We're going to talk more about that Wigan game and the reaction later on in the podcast, but they needed a win. They were knocking on the door in the second half. They were the better team, but they couldn't get the goal they needed to get them out of the bottom three. And as it stands, Wigan are going down. And that left Barnsley and Charlton scrapping it out to survive. And for most of the evening, despite losing 4-0 against Leeds, despite being behind Pretty much for the whole game, it looked like Charlton were going to be safe thanks to Barnsley's worst goal difference as they were drawing against Brentford. But wow, Griffin Park is a stadium that we associate with drama. We thought the drama, if it was going to come last night, was going to be a goal to send Brentford up to the Premier League in what would have been their last ever game there. They'll now play there in the playoffs against Swansea. But instead, it was a Barnsley goal Mm. that sparked massive celebrations for Gerhard Struber and his side in the 93rd minute. They scored two injury time goals in their last two games, two injury time winners to get them out of the playoffs. They were dead and buried just a couple of weeks ago. Even yesterday, nobody gave them much of a chance to stay up. And another dramatic story, another dramatic (laughs) way of keeping your side up. Nathan Jones returned to the club during lockdown. The club that he had left on the brink of promotion from League One. The club who the fans felt like they... He had done the dirty on them by moving to Stoke. He arrived with them, rooted to the foot of the table. And what a turnaround Nathan Jones oversaw. Yesterday it was dramatic again. They hosted Blackburn at Ewood Park. Sorry, at Kenilworth Road, I should say. Blackburn took the lead early before Luton raced into a 3-1 lead. Blackburn got it back to 3-2. They hit the post late on, but Luton held on to those three points. And we saw those celebrations similar to Gerhard Struber's Barnsley. <laughs> Nathan Jones beating his chest and hugging his players at Luton. What an evening it was. Just to confirm now, the bottom three, as it stands, we are still waiting for news on Wigan's appeal. We're still waiting for possible news about a points deduction for Sheffield Wednesday that could put them in this mix. But Charlton in 22nd are relegated on 48 points. Wigan Athletic relegated on 47, including the points deduction. And Hull relegated on 45. Harry's sponsors Going Up, Going Down, which is a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Now, as a listener of Going Up, Going Down, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash going up right now. That's harrys.com forward slash going up. Right, George, excellent work with that roundup. I've just about stayed with you, um, but I thought you did a good job there. Let's try and 
just scratch the surface a little more on some of those things that you were talking about there uh, and starting with what happened down at the bottom. I think that uh, from a neutral's perspective, this was the most interesting last night, but it's also the most painful for clubs who have suffered relegation. Uh, Hull and Charlton, we've discussed at length the difficulties that they have faced also with ownership off the field, but none as great in the short term as what Wigan Athletic have had to deal with. Now, we kind of have to caveat any praise for Barnsley by saying that the only reason they've stayed up is because of this administration that Wigan were placed into by an owner who has not faced up to it yet, whose actions are still so unbelievable and unanswerable. And on the pitch, a Wigan side who were legitimately one of the best in the division for the last, well, six months, if you go back to the start of the year, the fourth best record post-lockdown, the third best record since the 1st of January. They weren't able to get it done against Fulham. You wonder whether the emotional toil of the administration chucking them back into relegation danger when they'd been safe on top of nine games in 33 days, the sort of physical toil that, that no players at this level have had to deal with before. They just ran out of steam, I think, George. And I don't think we can necessarily sum up what the fans will be feeling, what the players will be feeling. But Paul Cook faced up to the media after the game last night and gave one of the most impressive interviews in the face of absurd adversity I think I've ever heard. Um, give this a listen. No, it's, it's only as you can imagine. It's, 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 it's a group of people who are absolutely devastated. You know, as you can imagine, they've been, they've been dealt a really cruel hand. You know, and they really had the belief that they could overturn their 12 points and, you know, still stay up. You know, tonight was a night, it was always going to be tough against a good Fulham side. You know, excellent players all over the pitch. But as Pair normally didn't leave a breath on the pitch, I'm, I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of the football club, how we've reacted to the adversity. You know, everyone connected with Wigan Athletics should be proud of what they've done in the last few weeks because they've maintained all the dignity, the players have played with pride and it's been representing the town in the correct and proper way. You know, so while as we're disappointed as we are, we certainly congratulate some of the other teams that stayed up, especially Barnsley. You know, they had really special moments and to score as late as they did and to stay up when they've been written off, it's a great night for them and congratulations from us. We can talk about decisions going your way, not going your way. That, that free kick, how, how is it? I'm not Joe... getting involved. We've had too many games with referees' performances now. Do you know, it, 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 it's not a night for criticising referees about different stuff. We had enough chances second half to score and win. We really did and we couldn't put them away. And I've watched this team go from bottom of the table on January the 1st to I think that's one defeat in 15 for this group of players. They can really hold their heads up high. They should be proud of growing into a really good championship team. Unfortunately, now as a football club, at the minute, that probably doesn't look like it'll be happening next year, and that's really sad for them. A quite remarkable interview there from Paul Cook. I mean, we talk a lot about the fans and the club, but let's remember that Paul Cook went into work one day a few weeks ago thinking he'd steered his club away from relegation and was told completely out of the blue that the club was being placed into administration and they would be dealt with a 12-point deduction. In that time, the form didn't dip. You know, they had a relegation game against Hull just 10 days ago or even a week ago, which they won 8-0. Mm. And listening to that, it's just full of class. He has never thrown his toys out the pram. He hasn't, um, you know, complained about the hand that he has been dealt 
and he's got them so close. I mean, as I said in the roundup, they were the better side against Fulham yesterday and they had their chances to win that game. And, you know, he didn't complain about it, but he would have every right to feel aggrieved about the free kick that was given as well. And he has a team full of players. You know, Joe Gellhart, for example, is being linked to pretty much every club in the Premier League next season. He was playing yesterday. You have Kiefer Moore, who's being linked to four or five clubs in the championship. He scored the goal yesterday. So he's dealing with players who are aware that their future at the club it's probably not going to be a long one, I'm sure, given the cost-cutting measures that are being put in place by the administrators, irrespective of any potential buyer. Paul Cook will know that his future at the club is probably up for debate as well. So you have to feel incredibly sorry for the fans, Ali, here. But you also have to commend what the player, what the players and the manager have done in trying, albeit unsuccessfully, to bounce back from that 12-point deduction and try and maintain their championship status for another season. Yeah, spot on. Uh, in terms of, of off-field stuff, they have a or they will appeal or have appealed against this twelve-point deduction. The story's not over. That if that appeal was successful, then presumably those points will be reinstated. Now that might cause further issues down the line for the EFL and, and more legal wranglings with the team that that affects negatively. But the other news, as reported by Matt Slater on. Wednesday afternoon was that the administrator for Wigan, Gerald Krasner, said that he has chosen a preferred bidder for the club uh, and that they have until noon today when we're recording to agree terms. Contracts must be exchanged by 31st of July with completion ASAP pending fit and proper process. The bidder was chosen from five bids that had shown proof of £10 million in funds and it was picked because it was the most likely to succeed you have to put your trust in these football administrators. They've done this for many clubs in English football over the last decade or two. And you have to hope that they are choosing the correct owner who can sort out this mess caused by the previous owner in the short term and hopefully try and keep this team together and try and 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 keep giving the foundation to Paul Cook to rally and to go again if they are in League One next season. Because we're talking about a side who are a playoff championship side, essentially, in their current guys who could be playing in League One next season. Uh, and we hope that they won't get absolutely gutted. The team that stayed up, George, due to Wigan's points deduction were Barnsley. And I think there's, while understanding the, the disappointment and the, and the upset of the Wigan situation, there is also a lot of joy, isn't there, for Barnsley, specifically for their manager, Gerhard Struber, and their young squad, who, not just in the last few weeks, but probably more eye-catchingly in the last few weeks, have fought tooth and nail right to the end, even when it felt like they had absolutely no chance. And they've done it playing a style of football that is probably the neutral's favourite in the division. It's, it's, you have to commend everything that they've done. Um, the impact that Strube has made since he came in has been nothing short of, of sensational. Um, I tweeted a poll yesterday asking which manager um, out, of, out of four, um, including Nathan Jones, Michael O'Neill, Neil Harris and Gerhard Struber has made has been the best mid-season appointment and Struber is leading that poll, much to the um, concern of certain Stoke fans. Maybe but a bit of recency bias there, or do you think that's right? I think there are a lot of people looking into to Barnsley or even fans of the club themselves who couldn't believe the decision to, to sack the former manager Stendhal. And there didn't seem to be much faith that they'd be able to find somebody who would do a job as well as he had done especially given the recruitment in the summer, which seemed naive at best in the way they went about preparing for the championship. But Struber has come into that group of players and you can see from his interview after the game yesterday where he was in tears. He said it was his best day in football by miles. And he spoke about his bond with those players as well. 
And you could see that in the, in the way that they approach games. There was, you often see with clubs like this who maybe don't have the budget of the other ones they're coming up against, who play with such attacking verve, you often see a massive defensive frailty that goes alongside that. And that is what Barnsley were under, under Stendhal for the first half of the season. Yet he has managed to make them very, very solid. I mm. mean, they, they looked, for the most part, at Griffin Park against a, a Brentford side who scored for fun. They looked pretty secure. I mean, it was a brilliant Josh De Silva goal. Ollie Watkins fluffed their only real clear-cut chance in the second half as well. I mean, Barnsley, they may not have had all the possession yesterday, but they certainly were, were, were pretty good value for their win. And we even saw them taking the game to Leeds a couple of weeks ago. They, It would have been a travesty had Barnsley been relegated. Um, I know we've spoken about how unfair it is that Wigan are, and that is certainly true. And it's important to remember as well that if Wigan hadn't had their points deduction, we would be talking about a valiant effort from Barnsley mm. here that had failed. But given what's happened, there is no doubt in my mind that Barnsley under Gerhard Struber deserve to be a championship team next season for what they've done on the pitch. Whether or not they can keep Struber, well, that's the next big question. There are a few teams in the championship, namely Bristol City, Birmingham City, potentially Middlesbrough. We're not sure what the future uh, of Neil Warnock is as it pertains to next season is. But Gerhard Struber would have to be on everyone's list because of the job that he's done. And just to go uh, touch on what you said about his emotions after the final whistle, it's worth remembering he left Wolfsburger, the team he was managing in Austria, in the midst of a Europa League campaign, <laughs> a team playing in, in Austrian football's top flight and challenging at the top of that table. I mean, no one challenges Salzburg, but challenging for European spots again, who, had, who was doing an amazing job and unbelievably popular to take over a team in the second tier of English football at the bottom of it was a huge risk for his career and one that has paid off handsomely. He's essentially backed himself there, probably knowing that if he succeeded in this job, there would be, even though it seems a little bit odd, probably more credit being given to him than if he'd stayed at Wolfsburger. He's now one of the hottest properties management-wise in English football, I would say, outside of the top tier, and he's done a sensational job. Nathan Jones, what a renaissance for him. Gary Sweet, the Luton chairman, said last night, he owed us a debt, and it's now clean. The (laughs) slate is clean. He has earned that and more in the last nine games. Nathan has become a Luton hero tonight, and I don't care what the history books say. From a Nathan Jones perspective, one of the strangest individual seasons that you could have had from a manager. He, he took Stoke into the season and left them at the bottom of the table with eight points from 15 games. A paltry return for a side with, with many recognisable names that he simply could not get to work as a unit. Stoke, under his replacement, Michael O'Neill, have been one of the better sides in the division and have stayed up comfortably. He had a few months off, did a lot of media work, did a lot of reflection and went back to Luton. Again, a brave call from them, you'd say, and a, and a brave call from him to accept the job. And since COVID-19 lockdown has ended, the seventh best record in the league, four wins, four draws, one defeat. I'm just so excited now to see what he can do this summer. Uh, he brought back into the fold so many of the players that he himself had helped take from League Two up to the top of League One. The likes of Elliot Lee and Luke Berry have been key players in this turnaround. But you'd be interested to see how they go about the the transfer window this summer. This is a club who were in League Two three or four years ago, whose rise has been remarkable, and they can now consolidate at this level if they get things right. 
They're a club with a bright future and they're being run really, really well. New stadium on the horizon. Just after such a difficult season, so much to look forward to for, for Luton Town. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly it. And there were some Luton fans who I think felt a bit shortchanged by uh, Nathan Jones, who who said during the time that he wasn't there that, that the, the rise from League Two up to the Championship wasn't necessarily down to Jones. It was down to certain players and good recruitment. I don't think anybody can doubt the impact of Nathan Jones in that football club now. Um, it, it does feel like he has his personality has in some way lifted that club because I don't think we've necessarily seen much tactically change at the at, at Luton. They haven't suddenly become that free-flowing attacking side that we saw them in League Two and League One. Well, they have stopped conceding two goals a game, which was pretty crucial. Although not not last night. <laughs> but there, there just seems to be a steely you know determination from him. Whether it was to wrong those rights, as as as, as the owner said, whether it was to prove himself, because he went from being a very hot coaching property in the English game to being somebody who. A lot of owners and, and, and chief execs wouldn't really have wanted to take a chance on after what happened at Stoke. Um, you and I both said when he left Stoke that it felt like he was a manager who was suited by a more kind of siege mentality idea, not necessarily being a big fish in a small pond, but trying to be that against the odds, proving themselves. And certainly at Luton, that is exactly um, the fit that he has there. And it would have been interesting to see what reception he'd have got at Kenilworth Road had fans been allowed in for his first game, I have a feeling he's going to get a raucous one whenever it is that he is able to play, you know, his his Luton side are able to play in front of the, the Luton faithful because what he's done in, in saving their their championship status is is absolutely remarkable. And it would take a brave man to, to bet against them continuing to upset the odds again next season. What about someone who's taken his club into the Premier League, back into the Premier League? I'm talking about Slaven Bilic and West Bromwich Albion. There were times earlier in the season where with a 10-point cushion between second and third, it felt like a formality that we would end up with Leeds and West Bromwich Albion going up automatically. Of course, in the Championship, it's never that simple. Uh, And the fact that it really went down to the wire. Well, it reflects, A, the strength of, of some of the challenges, Brentford and Fulham specifically, uh, over the last few months, uh, but also that this West Brom team did struggle to get over the line at times. You have to give Slaven Bilic so much credit for harnessing the talent that they have in that squad. Their second goal last night against QPR really summed that up. Grady Diangana is a player who looks absolutely ready for the Premier League. Sadly for West Brom, that will most likely be with his parent club, West Ham, but the individual skill to wriggle away from two defenders and put the ball on the plate, on a plate rather, um, for Callum Robinson just showed how good some of these West Brom players are, how lucky we've been to cover them, but also the fact that, that Bilic managed to get a side that only lost seven games in 46. That's two games fewer than Leeds that admittedly struggled to win games at times. And that record of 17 draws uh, is why it went down to the wire so much. But I mean, what do you think about their chances in the Premier League next season? They're, they are going to be one of the favourites for relegation. There's no denying that the, the Premier League is a massive step up from the Championship. Do you think they go into it in good shape and with Bilic in charge, someone who has uh, experience at that level? They are fairly reliant on on loan players as it stands. Um, it, it, I don't want to give Bilic too much credit for last night because they drew the game to all, but it was a brave decision of his to not play either High Robson Carnu or Charlie Austin from the start and play Callum Robinson up front, basically playing with, with Pereira, Diangana, 
Robinson and Kravinovic. Mm. You're playing a lot of creative players there, but no real out and out strikers. But Robinson played very well and as did Dangana and they, you know, and, and it did pay off. But I mean, I'm sure Robinson will be available to buy if they want to from Sheffield United. It doesn't seem like he fit there, um, but it will cost money. Diangana, I am pretty sure, um, will be wanted at West Ham next season. If you know, I know West Ham <laughs> isn't necessarily run um, particularly well, but if they take a look at Diangana and what he's done in the Championship this season and, and decide he isn't worth a shot, then that would stagger me. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing Matias Pereira in the Premier but League. Pereira, Pereira will, of course. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be at the club for long, but they will, of course, um, purchase him now, as was agreed in the summer. Um, and will be so key to that. I, I, I don't think they have been a, a a brilliant championship club by any stretch. And I think in recent years, despite you and I always uh, talking them up pre-season, we've seen how some championship clubs, good championship clubs, such as Villa, Norwich, can go up and have a pretty you know rude awakening when they get there as well. So, And you do feel like in Billich, they had a manager in the championship that maybe had that little bit more nous, that little bit more experience that would set them in good stead in the championship, the Premier League. That doesn't really ring true either. So I'm not telling you I think they're going to get relegated. I think they need to rebuild. I think they need to replace key players or retain those loan players. Um, but right now, if I was a West Brom fan and you offered me 17th, <laughs> I'd take it. Well, I mean, just getting back to the Premier League two years after relegation is impressive in itself. If, if you look at the record of teams who have been relegated over the last five seasons, there aren't many clubs who are back in the Premier League within two years. So, um, you know, last season didn't end well and was pretty chaotic with Darren Moore taking the helm and then being sacked in the midst of a of a of what was about to become a playoff battle and going into it with a caretaker manager that clearly that season petered out, but to lose Dwight Gale and Jay Rodriguez and to rebuild the side in a much more cohesive image as they are this season is really impressive. I mean, the, the piece that we mentioned at the top of the show uh, on the athletic site, a portrait into the maddest night in the maddest league in the world. My favourite part of that is that just to sum up the carnage and how difficult it is to get messages onto the pitch at this time, there's a bit about uh, Kyle Bartley basically being told, I screamed at, by Slavin Bilic, please get forward. We need you to score a goal. Uh, and then seconds later, he was pleading with him to get back and protect the 2-2 draw that would be enough to take them up. I mean, it, it just sums everything up. I was also amazed and, and somewhat amused, I must say, to see that Brentford, as they trudged back to the dressing room for half time, the PA system decided to play journeys don't stop believing <laughs> as a way of Ging them up, which clearly had the adverse effect. And Brentford... Having won eight games in a row, it's fair to say, have stumbled, George, when they needed points the most. Losing to Stoke on the weekend, losing to Barnsley last night. Just one win in those two games would have seen them automatically promoted. I don't want to dwell too much on last night, but I do want to ask you about the playoffs. Because it feels like we need a couple of weeks off, but we're not going to get them. Sunday night, 6.30pm, Brentford play Swansea in Swansea, the first leg of the semi-final. We've also got Fulham against Cardiff. So we've basically got, on both sides of the draw, one West London side and one Welsh side. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on what the playoffs have in store for us? I think it'd be quite fun if we ended up with a derby, either one of those derbies in the final. Um, mm. I think people will get very caught up in the narrative that Brentford chucked it away. And it's and it's hard to to get away from it because they were ultimately very toothless um, against both Stoke and Barnsley. I, I would say that the, both of those fixtures 
in my opinion, are much harder than the league table would suggest. Uh, Stoke, since O'Neill took over, have been a top seven, top eight team. And, you know, since lockdown, you and I often look at the the data side of things. And Barnsley, I think, were fourth for XG ratio since the break as well. So under Struber, certainly not playing like a relegation threatened side. And, you know, class is, is permanent. We know this Brentford side are very good when they're good. And I'm not going to read too much into a couple of defeats, even though it is going to be very difficult for them to pick themselves up, knowing that one win out of those two games would have seen them promoted. Uh, Swansea and Cardiff come in absolutely flying. Mm. I mean, Swansea particularly feel like they're now playing with a an attacking kind of vigour that we haven't really seen from them before. Still dominant in terms of possession, but now able to to convert that into goals. And having the, the youthful exuberance and quality of Rian Brewster up front seems to have given them a real shot and um, and if I was Brentford I'd now be I said a couple of weeks ago it was important whoever came third to come third because the fixture against sixth looked was going to be quite an easy one but with Swansea coming in the way they are I, I'd like to uh, retract that statement mm-hmm. and then Fulham Cardiff is, is a really interesting game um, two sides who of course came down last season uh, two sides who at times this season haven't really convinced but have certainly put together a run of form in the last few weeks that is, is is mightily impressive. Um, neither concede many goals until the, the silly season towards the back end. Um, I wouldn't really want to call it. If, if I was to, to be forced, I'd, I'd say I think Fulham are going to find it difficult against Cardiff to break them down. Um, I don't think that the Fulham um, back line are going to find Mitro as, as difficult to deal with as maybe some others. And I think that Brentford will be rightful favourites against Swansea. But Again, it wouldn't be a massive surprise to see Swansea turn them over. From a neutral perspective, that Brentford-Swansea game should be easy on the eye and also one for potential England internationals, dare I say it. Always seems risky when you're talking about second-tier players, but in Rian Brewster up front for Swansea on loan from Liverpool, especially in the form that he's in, Mark Gwehi at the back, who's on loan from Chelsea. Both of those players were under-17 World Cup winners under Steve Cooper, who is the Swansea manager. Uh, You've also got Conor Gallagher, uh, who provides the energy at the heart of midfield for them. Uh, And dare I say it, maybe Ollie Watkins up front for Brentford, who missed a big chance last night and will be eager to right that wrong. Uh, As for Fulham-Cardiff, I would say first and foremost that Fulham made quite light work of Cardiff when they played a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that will be um, something to, to read too much into. But what I would say is that Fulham, first and foremost, have to show the defensive strength that they have done over the last few weeks. Michael Hector is going to have a lot of defending to do, a lot of balls into the box to clear. Uh, and you'd back him over basically any other defender at this level to be able to cope with that. At the other end of the pitch... Well, that's where we know Fulham have the star quality, dare I say the Premier League quality in Alexander Mitrovic uh, and his movement, his finishing in the box is going to be what Cardiff have to think about most of all. It's a fascinating playoff picture. I cannot wait to discuss them with you next week, George. But we have to finish by talking about a team who probably experienced the most inexplicable slip-up last night. Nottingham Forest just needed a point and even if they lost they just needed to make sure it was not a five goal swing with Swansea instead they lost 4-1 at home to Stoke City having lost late against Barnsley on the weekend Swansea's 4-1 win against Reading saw them leap over Nottingham Forest inexplicable to be talking about Nottingham Forest's season finishing but it's done there'll be no playoff football for them 
We felt a bit bad about getting Paul Taylor on the podcast. He covers Nottingham Forest for The Athletic. His writing this season about the development of Sabri Lamucci's team and his tenure has been an absolute joy to read on The Athletic site. But it wasn't a happy Paul Taylor who joined us this morning. This is what he had to say about last night. I've never seen anything like it. You know, I've, I've been covering Forest for 15 or 16 years now and there's been some, there's been some dramatic evenings in... Not in a good way in the past. You know, they lost to Blackpool in the playoffs, uh, Sheffield United further back, Yeovil. They, they've had some pretty bad uh, nightmare evenings in playoff games. But to, to actually implode on, on the cusp of even getting into the playoffs last night was, was perhaps more painful even than, than, than any of those. It was You just didn't see it coming. Even when it was 1-1, you just thought they'd got one foot in there still. Uh, and then that, that last 20 minutes was just like nothing I've ever seen. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And, and they've only got themselves to blame at the end of the day. There's no glossing over that. But, but what a painful night. What, what a painful night. And I, I feel bad for Forest fans because they weren't even there to be able to cheer their team on or to try and help them get over the line. And, and watching that on television and, and being helpless, watching it through, through television must have been awful. The drama started on Sunday evening rather than yesterday with a 1-0 defeat against Barnsley, conceding a 93rd minute winner there. And we spoke on our podcast on Monday about how the changes that Lamucci made in terms of personnel and in terms of the shape smacked of somebody who, who thought that they were already in the playoffs, thought that they were already there and home and hosed and questioned whether that was a particularly wise thing to do. And Lamucci's come in for so much praise from Forest fans and those watching on as well. Is is there a feeling that he was a little bit naive in the way that he went about getting what was just one point needed from a final two games? Well, I, I haven't had this verified by any means, but somebody somebody close to the club actually told me that at one stage he was planning to make seven or eight changes for the Barnsley game and sort of had to be talked down a little bit. So it could have even been worse. I think, I think, Lamucci has done a, a lot of very good things at Forest, and this has still been their best season in, in a decade, or nine years at least. Um, he, he had built something that looked like it was going to be very, very good. And the last six matches have just, just tarnished that really, never more so than, than the Barnsley game. And I think there was an element of naivety there. I think there was an element of, of perhaps not understanding what the championship is about. You know, he often talks about how there's no easy games in the championship, but he's his approach to that Barnsley game perhaps suggested that he felt otherwise, not, not complacent or or perhaps presumptuous, but he, I think he thought he could go there with a, a slightly different team and, and still get the result that they wanted. And he, he found out the hard way that, that that wasn't necessarily the case. It was a, a big learning curve for him at Oakwell and you know it, it proved to be costly. But if you ask me, the, the turning point wasn't Barnsley. It was actually uh, the goal they conceded against at Derby uh, on the 4th of July when, when Chris Martin scored in, in, in injury time, uh, you know, six games ago. They've, they've had six games to get over the line and, and that was the moment in which the, the course of their season turned. At, at that point, they were looking very loftily at, at the top two. They'd just beaten Huddersfield and Bristol City uh, and everybody, perhaps including me, was getting a little bit carried away about what might be possible. Uh, and as it turned out, <laughs> they, they, you know, they got caught out. The dust is very much still settling. I mean, we're only twelve hours out from from full time, and you know, this is a club who would have been planning for the playoffs, and, and will now sort of limp into the in, into the summer and a short break. 
a positive in the last few months that we spoke about with you and a few others was given Forrest's chaotic decade, this would be the first time in around 10 years that they would finish the season with the manager that started the season. Um, what now for Lamucci going forward? Were there any, do, do you think there might possibly be any knee-jerk reactions? I know he signed a new contract recently, but there's going to be a lot of hurt and, and therefore quite a lot of work to turn the tide with a new season looming. Let's not beat around the bush. I think his position's going to be in peril. Uh, I don't think necessarily that any decisions have been made, but I think there will be uh, some thought given to it. Uh, you know, they were in such a good position six games ago but ever since he signed that new contract has been the, I think I'm right in saying it was just before the Derby game that he signed the deal. I might be wrong there, but it was around that time. And ever since then, uh, you know, things have gone awry a little bit. I'm not suggesting the two things are linked, but but the fact he signed a new contract will will not protect him if the, if the owners decide that, that they do want to make a change. Uh, and you wonder whether that will at least be something that's very much up for debate, given the capitulation we've seen over the last six games. Everything that was good, all the hard work that Forrest put in, and there was a lot of hard work from Sabri Lamucci as well, to get to the position that they were in, to get to the within touching distance of not only the playoffs, but possibly still to have a chance of automatic at one stage. All that was undone in the last six games. All of it fell apart. And, and there is going to be some kind of inquest. There is going to be some kind of investigation into how and why that's happened. And if they decide that the manager's responsible, then then you know there might be a price to pay for that. Personally speaking, I, I, I was actually thinking it was going to be a good thing that they might have a, a manager in charge for uh, for more than one season, for you know somebody to get his feet under the table and actually stamp uh, his imprint on the team. And he, he had started to do that. But whether he'll get that opportunity now, we'll have to wait and see. But um, maybe he still will, and maybe he'll get the chance to, to make amends for what's happened in the last six games. But, but something's gone wrong, and... And then they're going to have to look at why that happened and whether they still trust him to be the man to lead them into next season or not. Looking at the recruitment over the past couple of years, it seems clear that the owner is very keen on getting a promotion to the Premier League and the squad has been built as such. But there is quality running through it as well, especially Matty Cash and Joe Lolly, two players who we can be pretty sure will want to try you know, their hand at the very top level and would certainly have suitors as well. Other players such as Samba Sao, Bryce Samba, um, Thiago Silva, these guys who, who have come in on, on fairly big contracts from, from abroad. Are, are the club going to be able to retain these players who will certainly have aspirations to play at the top level? I, I think Matty Cash and Joe Worrell are the two that, that you would look at their uh, future this summer. Not, not because they're in any way going to be banging on the door demanding to go or you know, insisting that they want an opportunity because they're both, they're both really grounded, decent professional footballers and I don't think they're the kind to agitate for a move but the fact is is that they're probably Forrest's two brightest young talents who have been attracting admiring glances from the Premier League and, and there will be offers from uh, the Premier League this summer for them. Forrest have already turned down a bid from Burnley uh, for uh, for Worrell uh, in the past, I think around £10 million they had on the table for him. Um, more recently Cash has been <laughs> interesting Milan of all people. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 there is going to be interest in them and you just wonder whether one of them might be sold just to balance the books a little bit this summer. But uh, we, we'll see on that one. I, I think there is going to be 
uh, another summer of change one way or another, whether that includes the manager or not. I think there'll be players coming and players going and uh, perhaps a little bit of a, a restructuring because, let's face it, the, the recruitment that they made in January in particular was, was very poor. You had players like Bong, Dia Carby, De Costa, uh, one or two others who come in and, and, and frankly haven't made as much of an impact as as the club would have liked. The, the, the January recruitment was, was not up to scratch and had it been better, maybe the, the second half of the season might have been as well. Paul, just to finish on a, a weird note, uh, <laughs> absolutely bizarre, something we spotted on, on Twitter last night and uh, you're very much used to reporting on the story, but you're kind of part of, of this question. You, you, you tweeted a goal alert where the <laughs> forest equalised uh, and I note that at 10.39pm after the final whistle, in, in reply to that, the former owner, Fawaz Al-Hasawi, sent you a winky face emoji. Yes. Um, can you explain to those who maybe haven't tracked Forrest's recent ownership history closely why he would have done that and what that made you feel at the time? <laughs> in the nicest possible way, he's a lunatic. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> he, he's, he claimed to have been a lifetime Forrest fan. Uh, when he when he bought the club, he claimed to have supported them from afar and had been an ab, you know somebody who admired Brian Clough and uh, you know it being a lifetime ambition to own the club. So he's 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 very much forgotten apparently his love for Forest last night. You know if if he if he did have any affinity for Forest, he'd have been gutted like the rest of us. But yeah, he decided to to wade in and have his little say with a winky face. I think Forest fans, if you look at the replies, made their feelings quite. <laughs> quite apparent mm. uh, he might have had to pull on his tin hat but uh, yeah he, he was a bit of an odd character Fawaz he had his it felt like he had the best interests of the club at heart but was just bluntly very very poor at running a football club it, it never went well he, he, Forrest used to find themselves in a high court on a regular basis over unpaid bills and just the reputation of the club was dragged through the mud a little bit during the time he was in charge and he's probably not doing himself any favours with that 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 latest little outburst but you know uh, at least it, it, it gives a break from his Twitter feed being full of pictures of things he's shot in the face <laughs> <laughs> well f- fingers crossed both you and Forest fans have the last laugh Paul I'm um, just looking at the athletic at the moment a, a piece has just gone on the site now a portrait of the maddest night in the maddest league in the world up on the athletic anybody listening <laughs> to this podcast because they have an interest in the EFL this is absolutely must read stuff and your report from last night is at the top with the subheading Disaster Unacceptable Forest Top Their Lists of Implosions. And you've summed it up brilliantly here with us and on there too. We look forward to speaking to you again, Paul, next season, whether or not Sabri Lamucci and as players mentioned are at the club, we're sure it'll be another dramatic season. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Massive thank you to Paul for giving us what is some pretty interesting insight into all things Nottingham Forest on this tough morning for the club for Sabri Lamucci and those in charge as they move into the summer with no bonus football to play um one team we are waving goodbye to George's Leeds United they were confirmed as champions before last night so pretty much had the most stress-free version of final day imaginable uh, which Leeds fans would have been very grateful for given their their recent history for being put through the ringer and it turns out that Leeds should play half drunk Every day, George, because they were as dominant as they have been all season. But it seems to sharpen up their finishing slightly. They've been taking their chances really well over the last few games ever since promotion was confirmed. Uh, George, they lifted the trophy last night. I think fair to say rightful champions. In fact, they finished 10 points clear of West Brom 
in the end, I know that you are very sad to be waving goodbye specifically to your friendly uncle, Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah, it helps with your finishing when you've got a centre-back who can ping it in on the volley from 25 yards as Ben White did yesterday. Could be Talking a, of future England internationals. Could be a, a nice way to say goodbye to the Allen Road faithful. Um, it was an inevitability that we'd be saying goodbye to Leeds and it always felt that way. Even when people were talking about the possibility of them of them slipping up during a poor run of form, um, they have been the class team in the division all season, managed by the class coach in the division as well. And uh, I have a feeling, you know, we're going to be saying hello next season to, to Norwich and possibly Villa as well after just one season away. I'd be very, very surprised if we are saying hello to Leeds um, this time next year, unless there is a change in the dugout, because it does feel like in Bielsa and in this set of players, the squad of players who now they will surely, I'd be very, very surprised if there are any key players leaving except for White, who's obviously on loan. Um, it, it does feel like they are are well set for a good go at the Premier League and no one can begrudge them that because they've been away for too long <laughs> and um, they're certainly returning back to the, the Premier League in a much better position than they were when they left. Well, I'm sad that we won't be able to get Phil Hay on this podcast any longer because, well, he is a Premier League quality football writer, it's fair to say, one of the best that The Athletic has to offer. And he has been a busy man since Leeds' promotion was secured. If you're a Leeds fan, or if you're interested in what Marcelo Bielsa has done, if you're interested in Calvin Phillips, potential future England international, you wouldn't be too surprised if things go well next season. If you're interested in Pablo Hernandez, one of the best and most creative players we've seen at this level uh, in the modern era, certainly. Well, Phil's written about all of them. He's been a busy, busy man. Five pieces, I think, already since promotion was confirmed. The best of them for me was Marcelo Bielsa, the inside story of a Leeds love affair that made dreams come true. If you haven't read all of that, then what are you waiting for? Theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod. You'll get a 30-day free trial. You could probably just about read everything Phil Hayes ever written for the site in that time. Uh, and we would, yeah, implore you to give that a go because Phil is a magnificent writer. And we wave goodbye to him. We wave goodbye to Leeds, to Marcelo Bielsa, uh, and look forward to seeing how they get on in the Premier League next season. It's been a joy and a delight, George, to cover the EFL with you on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. Um, we have still got some playoffs to cover, so stay tuned for that. Make sure you're subscribed, everyone. Next week, we will be taking a look at whatever carnage is chucked up in the EFL over the next week, off the pitch, on the pitch as well with the playoffs. We thank you for joining us throughout the season uh, and make sure you're subscribed to The Athletic. That's theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod. We cannot wait to talk to you again next week.